Welcome to Hot Plate, the conversations we should be having about our food and drink. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, we talk about fake meat, pickled peanut butter beer, and cookie dough that can't be cooked. Then we cap it all off with a weird widget fail. So what do you got, Josh, no? Okay, we got we got we got a big one here. This is really mm-hmm. I uh, to me it feels really important. It's something I'm seeing everywhere and it is Beyond Meat, which is the name of a product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is a soy-based product that it, that walks and talks like meat. So they're Beyond Meat burgers and hot dogs, I believe right now. Okay. And they are completely plant-based. Right. But they are sort of, there's lots of soy. Like a tofu burger. A hundred percent, right? Mm-hmm. But there's ex, they have really worked on the flavoring of the thing mm-hmm. to be uh, allegedly just as tasty as, as and, and the, 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 the meaty, the mouthfeel and the texture of the thing. Mm-hmm. It is to really simulate a good meaty experience, mm-hmm. right? So here we are. I need to try it I, to believe 100%. it. A hundred percent. What I am seeing that I feel is super curious about this mm-hmm. is that I see the product in the grocery stores. You can buy like a box of frozen things to take your backyard barbecues now and all of that. Yeah. But then we're also seeing uh, quick serve restaurants, right? Like uh, fast food joints, A&W, Tim Hortons, that sort of thing are advertising that they have Beyond Meat sausage patties or things like that in oh. their sandwiches. Like so there's this, this, this big corporation big time involved. Right? Big time. Okay. This is what's happening. And so my first suspicion was about what is this stuff made out of? Uh how labor intensive is it compared to potentially raising cattle? Mm-hmm. Um and and what and who is this being made for? Right. Right? What's really going on here? So that's why I wanted to bring it to this conversation because uh, we have some authorities who have some interesting opinions and we need to break that down. Uh, for me, what is contentious about consuming meat is largely the impact of factory feed, like uh, feedlot meat. Right, the right? environment. Is this intensity, the precisely. Issues. The impact of growing these beasts. Never mind just the fact that maybe we should not actually be cramming chickens into coops like, you know, and yeah, it's yeah. just it's, it's a bit much just for the sake of us having a chicken sandwich. It's ridiculous. Right, but soy isn't much better. Well, is it's it? not at all. I don't know right? the details. And but a I lot certainly of remember. we don't know exactly which brand is using which soy from which like I don't right. have that detail. But a lot of the soy is GMO soy and Roundup Ready soy, which is this uh, pesticide resistant uh you know, Monsanto-driven crop. Ugh. Which, I mean, there's a lot of arguments about, about you know, for or against GM seed, but it's, it's an entirely unnatural thing. So it's basically the exact same issue because it's being mass-produced. Well, I think so, uh, right? And what I was suspecting when I saw the ads and the packaging and stuff was that this was much less to do with a climate change, you know, environmental argument and much more to do with the sort of knee-jerk market-driven response because you read any trend magazine about food trends in 2019 and they're talking about plant-based eating. Right. So in order to get our slice of the market share, we're going to put this thing out there. But it is actually not about... The, the required environmentalism, which is which is what I think the legitimate argument around the, the meat you know question right. is, uh, and so I saw an article written by the great Vandana Shiva, who is sort of, in my opinion, she's a global authority on issues like this. Interesting. She's a, a I believe a quantum physicist. 
Cool. Um, but also hugely huge proponent for food sovereignty uh, and and more rights and and responsibility and freedom and access and resources in the hands of small scale farmers. Which this is not because this not is at all big companies and. And you it's know, still monoculture, noticed. right? It's still monoculture on the crops. Yeah. It's still modified crops. Well, if um, Monsanto's involved. <laughs> we mean, can't. My heart is not that open not there, right? But listen to these numbers, okay. right? Um, the industrial food system, which is what we're talking about with these many, many acres of mm-hmm. the same crop, are, you know, using uh, pesticide-resistant chemicals, this sort of thing. That form of agriculture uses 75% of the land but only produces 30% of the food we actually eat. What? Right? That's counterintuitive because these large companies are supposed to be super efficient. Exactly. Yet, on the other side of things, small biodiverse farms use 25% of the land, and they actually produce 70% of the food that we're eating. Including vegetables, which are a much better option than these slapped together. And you know, you say soy, Joshna, but I would be surprised if the ingredient list isn't longer than my arm. Oh, I think you're totally right. Yes. Um, you know, eating cleanly and being a vegetarian is is one thing. Looking for, I'm using air quotes here, a meat experience <laughs> in a vegetarian no, you're to- you're fashion. Totally right. Yes. We run into the whole uh, texture issue, uh-huh. the whole juiciness. Issue. I have a, a good friend who's a vegetarian, and whenever we grill, I always tease him because he, he does get the the patties and they just fall apart they yeah. they, they, they don't surrender do, right? they, they, they don't know how to be grilled they don't know. so I'm imagining if you know this these companies are just fine-tuning and fine-tuning and that involves you know just adding things and then they'll just distract people by adding like yep. oh we've added vitamin B or right. this other nutritious thing that's exactly um, it uh, this in fact but that statistic is is crazy. It is crazy, right? It is crazy. And here, like, here's the real people kicker. People could just be eating vegetables. People could just... And beans. Right? You put a portobello mushroom on a grill, mm. uh, marinated in a bit of balsamic vinegar and soy. Add uh, some cheese right? if you're not vegan. Seriously. You got your protein. Or whatever thing. Boom. And you're good, man. You don't need to go through this. Uh, it's so... It's just... I feel like I want to scream from the rooftops to people about the fact that this... It's a ruse. Just eat vegetables. Right. <laughs> what, what do you mean when you say it's a ruse? Well, because it's it's suggesting a greenness. You know, there's a bit of green right. washing accompanying all of this, all these green leaves on the packages and the suggestion that there's a healthier life available to you in this box, in this bun. Right. There's there's implied virtuousness and all of this. That is uh, it's a real it's fake. It's not the truth at all. In fact, it's a much dirtier, more sinister underbelly when you really dig deep, you know? Because it's the big companies. And 100%. What's blowing my mind here is how inefficient they are based yes. on your statistics. Because the one thing that I was assuming was that they were efficient. That, it would, that, that pit was and working. And that's right. the one argument for these larger uh, producers mm-hmm. is, you know, we can feed more people. Um, but yeah. uh, there's, you know, still people the starving. Answer's, the so. answer's not true, right? The answer's really not true. So... I have been thinking about this. Yeah, let's hear it. And I just wanted to share with you, I was listening to the, an interview with this woman called Dr. Wendy Mogul. Mm-hmm. She, she has a lot of opinions, some of which I don't agree with, but she raised this theory okay. that I found so interesting. Okay, let's hear it. That I thought you'd want to, I want to share it with you. So 
her notion is that we're living in an age now where a lot of people have given up religion. Um, and so a new morality is growing around food. In oh, other words, oh, like people okay. are looking for okay. some kind of structure, some something that makes them feel like they're being good or they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and this is just her theory, but that that's been refocused on food. But oh, for me, that. it makes so much sense because a lot of these decisions, quote unquote, healthy decisions made about food are not actually healthy at all. They're Mm-mm. just based on, you know, smoke and mirrors. And like you were saying, uh, what do you say? It's a fraud. Uh, oh, it's a ruse. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of people out there who eat healthy, you know, because they have beliefs. And that's awesome. Um but the vast majority, it's not this internal philosophy of like, right. okay, yeah, this is totally. how I feel, you know, I care about the environment, therefore I'm going to do a little research and I'm going to eat this way, or, or I no, care about my body, and it's just like, it's not that at all. It's like, oh, um, the newspapers are saying we shouldn't eat gluten. All right, let's get rid of gluten. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the newspaper, or the whatever, okay, now we have to go plant-based because eating meat That's is what bad for you. Says. And it, it's like this... It's this very similar to religion in a way, mm-hmm. in that it's just uh, a fetishized accepted. sort of dogma. Is that an interesting theory? Uh, I I love it, and I think it's bang on. Right? For me, I it think explains it is bang a lot because yep. a lot of this has confounded me uh-huh. that people eat this way. Yes, I think that's it. Which is the curiosity is that the original suggestion around religion is that there was a core value. Right. But this. Yeah. But this is sort of a it's it's a less tethered notion. There's a core value, but then, you know, interpreted. Right. And, you know, in the case of many religions, it's the interpretation that's followed, not yep. necessarily. the. It, that's the similarity for me. Yep. Ah, I it's see. like the intention I see, I is see. good. Okay. The intention is always good. Right. But there's this, uh, you know, sort of interpretation the that's commonly accepted. Yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. That makes yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense because it is. It is still connected to what you believe. Yeah. Right? And what's important to you. Exactly. Right? And and that's what like it that. that's what it you know resonates with. Mm-hmm. You know? Um and sometimes you know especially with all the information that's out there right yeah. now and the misinformation and the contradictory information mm-hmm. uh you know sometimes you just have to make a leap of faith I guess. I, th- or I just love a decision. That. Right, and just be like, I just need lunch. I'm going to do what feels right or what looks right Mm -hmm. and go with that. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's really interesting. So plant-based diet uh, really needs to be, it's not just about (laughs) not meat. It needs to be about thoughtfully about well-raised vegetables. For sure. My friends who are listening, just eat vegetables. What's the weirdest beer you've ever had? The weirdest beer I've ever had. Have you ever had a weird beer? I have, I have, I have. I think it was like uh, something experimental from some sort of like compost peels. Ooh. Or something like that. Some little homebrew thing. Okay. That I think ended up being more effort than it was worth. Looking at your face, I feel like it was not a successful endeavor. uh, A little, yeah. It was like. Some it was it was an experiment gone wrong. Okay, that was a homebrew though. A homebrew for okay. sure. So no, I have not had a weird right. commercial product. <laughs> so this article caught my attention recently, yeah. and the headline was, "Have beer flavors jumped the shark?" 
Okay. So it was in the context of a, a beer festival called Strange Brews that takes Cute. place in Oregon. And some of the beers at this festival included uh, a steak and onion beer, a peanut butter and pickle beer, and a macaroni <laughs> and cheese beer. So, yeah, the wow. peanut butter and pickle is... That's the weirdest I'm one. so curious. I'm wondering. So, you know, this article was basically postulating that we've gone too far now mm-hmm. with beer and brewers are just trying to get attention and they're just throwing crazy things into beer. And now it has jumped the shark. Right. Are you familiar with the... I have. The, I am. I am. So for our listeners who are not familiar with the expression jump the shark, uh, I believe it's a happy days. It refers to a happy days episode in which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Fawns goes uh, water skiing and jumps over a shark. Oh! And that that episode is seen as the the turning point from where Happy Days was an amazing show to when it it jumped the shark and it's no longer it was no longer a good show. They like went a little too far with that okay. episode. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's where the expression comes Jump from. At, right. And for those of you who so, don't know what Happy Days is. <laughs> Uh, it's a '50s era American sitcom, uh, full of a lot of uh, a lot of jokes and and major cultural references, I suppose. Delightful. YouTube, yeah. <laughs> so this article was basically saying we've crossed into it's no longer good with the experimental beers. Okay, we've gone too okay, far. it's okay. Got it. And I don't know if I agree. No, tell me. What do you I think? I don't know. I mean, first of all, I think there's always been breweries that have made weird beers. One that comes to mind for me is uh, 2012. Yeah. There was a beer called uh, Worst Idea Ever. W-U-R-S-T. Oh. oh. <laughs> and it was oh, made with uh, hot dogs and Brussels sprouts. Oh, yeah. And it was brewed mm. just for a beer festival. It was just available on site. And I have these distinct memories of every just person after person walking up to me and saying, have you tried it? Have you tried it? And I would say, is it good? And they say, no. And, I, <laughs> and then I would say, but then why would I try it? But yeah. you have to, right? And this whole notion. Right, you need to do the imprint on your tongue. And I understand that instinct mm-hmm. of like, you, you got to try it. But, uh, you know, I have a, a limited amount of alcohol I can consume in one sitting, and I didn't want to waste any on something that, that way, I knew yeah. wasn't good. But... Um, the difference being, you know, Instagram didn't exist back then. Yeah. Social media didn't ex- exist in the way that it does now back then. So I think we're certainly way more aware of the crazy beers that are out there. But there have always been crazy beers right. out there. And what is the, like, where does this come from? This notion, is this just about fancy and, and people being a little bit sort of out there? Is it just sort of like fun flavor experiments or something else happening? Well, here's the fascinating thing about beer is... You can technically put anything in it, right? Mm. Um, Tell me why. I don't know why. So so if we look at wine, mm-hmm. wine is a fermented grape. Yes. Um, some people will use an outside yeast. Some people use the natural yeast. But it's, it's yeast and grapes. Beer, at its origin, is a recipe. It is grains mm. uh, and hops. And then the yeast oh, I and see, the water. I see. Okay. Uh, in some traditions, there were different grains. Some traditions used, um, you know, pumpkins and other starchy vegetables. Right. Some traditions use corn. It's not uncommon to add fruit. It is, you know, a, a, a very rustic, you know, farm 
kind of uh, beverage. So a lot, you know, a lot of people just threw together what they could. So from its origins, beer has always had a, a variety of ingredients. We've settled now on the fact that, you know, barley and hops and water and yeast are the four key ingredients. But anything else can technically be added and it's still technically a beer. It's right. it's a recipe. So I think right. okay. this comes from brewers looking for new and creative challenges on mm-hmm. one hand and definitely on the other hand looking for attention. Oh, you know, cute. Okay. It's like, oh, I, hadn't thought I just about made that. Okay. a common stunt is I just made beer from a breakfast cereal, which you can do. Oh, you like know. Fruit Loops beer or something yeah. like that? Okay. Absolutely. And uh, would you would you actually taste some of that artificial sweet fruity flavor? Um, I have not had a Fruit Loops beer, but uh, in some cases I'm sure you can. It depends when it's added. Right? Okay. It depends at which stage okay. of the If you add it at the end, then yeah, you can definitely taste it. And you know, there are People who have different philosophies about how things are added and, you know, what what results in a pure beer and what results in just a flavored (laughs) beer, right? Because if you make a beer and then you add something, then it's a flavored beer. It's not brewed into. Oh, uh, got it. Okay. But I have had some spectacular experimental beers in my day. What's good? What's what's been great? The most memorable one for me, I think, was at the Great American Beer Festival, Mm -hmm. which is a huge competition in the U.S. It's also a festival, but it's a competition. And it was 2011. I was a judge in the competition. And um, it's it's really cool. So you're at the beer festival. All Mm -hmm. the beers are on site. And at a certain time, they announce the winners of the competition. And one of my fellow judges who had judged in the experimental category said, when they announce what the gold is for the experimental beer category, go and taste it because it's mind-blowingly good. Ah. And this is a sort of a fun thing as a judge because when we judge, we judge blind, right? So he had no idea what it was. He just knew oh. that he had tasted it oh, and I given see. it a gold medal. I see. It was just like sample 23 or whatever. Okay. Exactly. So he's poised and ready. I'm next to him. And they announced this beer, and it was called uh, Mangalista Pig Porter. And oh. it was smoked meat in a porter. I know a Mangalista pig. I was on a Mangalista pig farm not so long ago. Was that ago. a type of pig? Yeah. Okay. The Mangalista pig has an exceptionally thick fat cap on it. Okay. Uh, exceptionally thick, so much so that it's hard to figure out what to do with that much fat. Hmm. So it's hard for restaurants because the pork chop has almost like a good like two and a half centimeters of meat and another two and a half centimeters of a fat cap. Well, it's odd that they would pick that particular pig then because fat kills foam. Right. But you said it was a porter? It was a porter. It was a dark beer. I bet that was delicious. It smelled like a like a meat deli, yeah. You know, like walking into Schwartz's, yeah, yeah. Just this delicate that aroma, smoky, fatty air. And then yeah. when you drank it, it was it was a porter. It was just a porter, and Ooh. then it was a slight uh, aftertaste again of that smoky meat. Just that sounds delicious, delightful. Um, but you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. Who puts smoked smoked meat in in a beer? Right. I was also in. I was in Korea a couple of years ago, and I don't know the name of this beer, but it was a. Kimchi smoked goza. So, oh my God, a goza is a, be, uh, yeah. a light alcohol sour beer uh, with kimchi, which is spicy right. and smoked. And I thought this is going to be a, a train wreck. There's yeah. going to be too many flavors. So good. Really, they they I bet they play off of each other really nicely. All those flavors, right? Yeah, and they all came through. So <sighs> you know, for me, when it's done well, I need I need two things. 
I need it all the flavors to be in balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to still be able to taste the beer. So in the case of both these mm-hmm. beers, all the flavors came through, but I could also taste that it was a beer. You know, when it when it's too flavored. Right. This reminds me of that conversation we had about food and art. Okay. Right? In the like the minute it becomes something that you can't actually just eat and enjoy. Exactly. It all comes tumbling down, right? It's still you're saying that the beer still needs to have beerness. That recognizable beerness. Uh, you can play around with flavor however you want, but it still needs to be enjoyed the same way. It also needs to be uh, cohesive. You know, just right. again, it's a recipe, right? So I'm sure as a chef, when mm-hmm. you approach a recipe, you're thinking, you know, what is the end flavor? Yeah, of course. Here, right? I remember I was judging a homebrew competition. This is years ago. And one of the brewers presented a, a wheat beer that was smoked and, and bourbon barrel aged. Ooh. And my first question Ooh. was, why? Yeah. Too many flavors. Um, so, you know, and, oh God, and they, the like answer too, was, right? I love all these three things. Yeah. So they do? People cook like that, too. It's crazy. I want to be like, the, why so much smoked and then sous vide and then brined and then da 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 and then coated in this. Yes. And I, that all just, I, the way, the best way I describe it is over accessorizing. <laughs> yeah, it's like Coco right, Chanel Coco, said. Exactly. Before you leave the house, right? take one accessory Two stages off. ago, this yes. was fine, right? You put way too much on. Well, my, what, my parallel is, uh, I don't know if you remember the movie Amadeus. Of course. But um, at one point he's, the someone is criticizing a symphony and he says it's just too many notes yeah. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's what it is so like. good oh okay so here's a fun one okay right uh this made me laugh when i read it so our <laughs> nestle and toll house famous for the chocolate chip Right. Like, right, the bulk sort of packaged chocolate chips mm-hmm. that you can buy with a good recipe for chocolate chip cookies on the back of the package. They have a recent, they've just decided to lean in to what consumers are doing and have started selling tubs of raw cookie dough to be eaten like ice cream with a spoon. Unbelievable. Isn't it extraordinary? I think it's a really like perfect encapsulation of our sort of cultural moment. Right. It's just extraordinary. Right. And what is particularly crazy is that one of the big uh, dangers about cookie dough, raw cookie dough consumption Mm -hmm. is about eating the raw egg. Okay. Right. This is the concern because the salmonella. Exactly. Potential carrier of salmonella. Again, it's sort of like lowest common denominator Mm -hmm. public health vibe. Right. But uh, in the, like, I don't know how many years, just the propensity of people to eat, to like make a batch of cookie dough, eat half of it raw and then bake the rest of it off. Right. I, I'm not one of those people, but I, I see it and I understand the delight of, you it's know, the ice cream, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So this cookie dough intended to for raw consumption contains no egg. Okay. So, so they're removing safer, the danger, right? I have quote air quotes unquote. on the safer, right? It's safer. Yet... I was like, okay, wait a minute. So wait, now, can you still bake with it? No, <laughs> that's the thing. You can't. That's. I was like, if we were to ball up so some of this stuff, so it's not cookie dough. No, it's it's this weird edible thing, like edible raw cookie dough snack. It's not cookie because you can't bake with it. You could not just roll a ball up and put it on a tray and put it in the oven. It wouldn't. It, the thing would not turn out. And I was like, this is. This is like, it's just a sort of ridiculous phenomenon. I think it's extraordinary. But do people eat 
cookie dough in those volumes? Well, I think that the people, I think that what our friends at Nestle and Dolos were saying is yes. That's fact. Because right? people will buy one sure of those tubes of... For sure it's a fun of, part of baking uh-huh, cookies. Of course. Is to have a little... But I, like, I eat maybe... Bite. Like a little, like one of half of my fingers worth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just a couple of little nibbles. But then I think about the, you know, you can buy that Pillsbury dough uh-huh. in the, in the sausage. Yes. Right. I wonder how much of that actually just gets, I feel like I've seen cartoons or memes or things of people with that in a spoon. Just eating just the whole thing. Just dealing with it. Right. Just dealing with it. Uh, and maybe that's a thing, but this the the idea that it's it's raw cookie dough that is is allegedly safe to eat because it doesn't contain raw egg, but then technically cannot be baked to make a cookie. Listen, I'm not going to knock it until I try it. Yep, it could be delicious. It might be. Um, and I mean, just hilarious. I I don't think I would think of it as cookie dough if you can't make cookies out of it. It's probably let's face it, a very engineered situation that approximates the cookie dough flavor but probably uh, well I'm curious to know if there's like dried egg powder or something in there you know there may not actually be raw eggs I couldn't find the ingredient list Uh, I couldn't either I I don't know if it's actually been released oh it may not be or this may be an America only situation oh my goodness so here's here's where my brain went when you started talking about this Um, because first of all Again, we're talking about removing the whole cooking aspect. Yes. Right? Yes, of course. Uh, Good you point. know, I imagine, I mean, when I bake cookies, it's because I'd like to have cookies. But I imagine <laughs> there's a percentage of people yeah. out there who also make cookies because they feel like a little cookie dough. And that's a nice little treat for them. And mm-hmm. then they'll make the cookies and I don't know, right. serve them to their friends or enjoy them later. I don't like this, this removal aspect. And I also was not keen on how emphatically they were talking about like cookie cookie dough is unsafe. It's unsafe, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, again, yeah, sort of vilifying the kitchen. So I did a little Google okay, to see how many people have actually died from eating oh, cookie dough. It. Guess how many? Oh my God, tell me. Zero. Zero. You want to hear something even better? Uh-huh. Only one person has ever died from eating cookie dough. And it was a prepackaged... Nestle no. cookie dough. No. It was. Wah, wah. It was, and it was E. coli in the, their flour, they think. In the flour. It wasn't even about the egg. Yeah. So you'll notice warnings about cookie oh dough God, will now amazing. say, you know, there's concerns about salmonella and e. the coli. flour, um, which turns, I mean, I've never heard it of E. coli such and flour. Paranoia, That's a little frightening. Right? Well, um, what is happening on the ground if we're talking about E. coli and flour? Yeah. Not a good thing. But the irony that it's Nestle putting out this safe one when their product is the only one. Oh, my God. I'm not saying no one's ever gotten sick from uh, cookie dough. It's very possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think salmonella generally, especially if you, I mean, I don't know if you eat a whole tub, but if you just have a bit, it can obviously make you sick. Yes. uh, But the chances of a random bit of raw egg actually carrying salmonella are so low. They are. And it's fascinating to me because um, I'm, I have family in Italy and uh, they raise their own chickens yeah. and they don't worry when they're cooking their chicken. They don't do all the compulsive cleaning right, and everything. Right, and right. I, I freaked out on them in the moment because I was a teenager and that happens and I taught them all about how to yeah. <laughs> 
the nerve, ship shape kitchen nerve right. um, of being clean around chicken. In the, but then I looked it up, and salmonella is greatly around, you know, overcrowded. It's about overcrowded it's about chicken conditions. Coops. If you're exactly. growing chickens and who are laying eggs in very open natural mm-hmm. conditions, salmonella doesn't even happen. Mm-mm. So I don't know this whole thing. Uh, right again, it's it's this quiet or perhaps not so quiet uh, conflict between industrial food systems uh, and more regional, biodiverse, localized, smaller scale operations. Mm. Right. This is this is how it is. Uh, because it, I reckon if you use gorgeous pasture-raised, far, you know, farm-fresh eggs in your cookie dough, yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Probably. Right? You're yeah. fine. If they had a good hearty shell with a nice liner and all the proper things that that poor hen was supposed to have, you're cool. But it is because we've created this whole other dynamic around intensive industrial farming of birds that the chance of this shows up. Yeah. But that's so not really, what will get you. that's exactly it right that's exactly it so even if you're just going to eat the dough make it yourself I would say so just make it yourself go get good butter get good flour Okay, you know nice chocolate chips and do it yourself forget the packaging forget the risk of something just do it I'm looking forward to seeing that ingredient list me too It's time for Weird Widget. Weird Widget. Are you ready? Bring it. Let's see it. So I, this is the widget. There's, You'll notice there's some tape on it because okay. the, there's a piece here that gives away what it is. So I'm hiding it oh, from you. Oh, thanks for that. Okay. But can you guess what it is? I, I have seen this before. You have. I know what this does. Uh, let me honestly tell you, I've never actually seen it in action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a feeling we're going to today. Uh, But I know what this does. So this is, it is essentially a small little bowl Mm -hmm. that would fit perfectly in the palm of your hand. Mm -hmm. On the back, there's a little clip Mm -hmm. suggesting that maybe it sits on the edge of a cup or another bowl of sorts. But the key piece here is on the bottom of the bowl are two like half moon openings. Right. It's like two brackets, if you imagine two brackets that are open space in the bottom. So it's not completely round. The sort of north and south are still intact. But the easty westies are these open bracket spaces. So you know what it is. I know what this is. So you can unveil. We can unveil. the. This is an egg separator. Oh, and you've just lifted the tape to reveal a very adorable little eggy character. Um, So essentially, this beauty gets perched on the side of a bowl or a cup. Oh, like you have right here. And then one cracks an egg without any different move. But you Mm -hmm. just crack it into this. The white seeps out, and this little bracketed concoction in here cradles just the yolk. I'm really curious to see if this works. Right. I feel my this is not a tool that I would need, and Me I'm guessing neither. it's one not yeah, that all. you wouldn't either. But not at all. It, it the separation of the egg, I think, is something that is challenging to people it, who very much didn't. My guess is bake with their parents as children. Yep. Because um, that seems to be one of the tasks that's, you know, that's yeah, what the I, tedious I task that's, re- that's relegated to the child. Uh, Here, I do you it can now. separate I give the it eggs. to the kids and I show them how to do yeah. it in their hands and they're fine. Oh, you do it in the hands. I, I put it in the hands and then you slightly open your fingers oh. and that lets the, and then you can kind of do this like gold dust 
shake that isolates the yolk. My technique is between the two halves of the egg, pouring it back and forth, letting the white spill out. This, the hand technique has come from just having to do dozens and dozens and dozens at a time. Okay. Right? Because, now now this is really getting dorky, the cradle back to forth with the eggs is when you're cutting three for your cake. Yes. Yeah. Fine. In other contexts, like preparing for brunch service, Mm. You will crack flats of whole eggs into a big bin. Yeah. And then you will use your hand to, to scoop, scoop out the, the yolks. Oh. Right. And then this the system is this little sifting as you gently open your separate your fingers uh, and let the white fall through. And then you plonk the yolk in another container for the hollandaise is essentially where that's going. I just needed to point out I had a little French Canadian moment there. Yeah. I called the yolk the yellows. Les jaunes oh, d'oeuvres. It's because I was oh, raised in French sweet. and we're talking about things the that remind yellows. me of my childhood. Well, and the, the other piece <laughs> is called the white. Right. It, I just Thank thought you. that was cute. All right. So Moment by, of truth. I've never used one of these before. That's the sound. Um, okay, here we go. So cracked, just letting it fall. I did nothing. I just let it fall. Oh, look at that. Okay, but now there appears to be some like stop motion. Yeah. Because the white, do you have to do a little shim shimmy shake? I don't know if we have to, but it's clearly not. It's, it has not released. No. Like it is technically separated, but I we could not just lift this thing out and have the yolk. We have to do some shaking because the white is really hanging on. It looks like the, the white is trapped underneath the. Yeah. Or like it needs a pinch off. Well, that's no fun. Oh, there we go. There I gave we it go. a good shake. Oh, it needed a shake. Well, we're almost there. We're almost there. Okay. Well. From the perspective of people who know how to separate eggs, this yeah. feels like a to-do. It definitely does. But look how clean that, but that is. is. Look at that. When it was finally done, that is very, very clean. Uh, do you think it can hold two? Oh, let's find out. Did you do it? Okay. Here we go. Beep. Oh, there we go. I did your technique. So far. Ooh. Oh my God, the look on this little egg guy's face is amazing. It's sticking still, though, eh? It is still sticking. So that little shimmy shake. shake really is required. Oh, I feel like as I'm shaking it, the look, the yellow is popping out on the bottom. Well, maybe uh, the, the yolk. Have... <laughs> Uh-oh. No, shaking is bad. Oh, no. Oh, oh but the whole thing. The yolk just fell through. through. <laughs> like, a, like an octopus trying to escape a boat. <laughs> That was amazing. It did not break, though. I'm delighted that it didn't break. That's true. It was like an octopus. <laughs> okay. I feel like I'm going to give this widget a thumbs down. I think this is a hardcore thumbs down because the amount of work that you are doing to, to try attempt to, get to the shake white the white yeah. off of the yolk uh, Wait, feels Wait, let's see if useless. your expert hand can do it. Oh. <laughs> Still, that bottom yolk is not broken. Okay. No, no. man. No. No. Come on. What is that? This is irritating is what this is. I think no. maybe it needs a sharper edge. Yeah. Or a little a little bit of jaggedy something. Yeah. Uh, no, this is not good at all. No. This is. And, and here's the truth is uh, room temperature eggs separate better than cold eggs. And you brought us room temp eggs. I yeah, felt it the minute you gave it yep. to me because I knew, right, whenever I haven't had the foresight to take the eggs out of the out of the fridge when I want to make meringue or whatever else it is, Yeah, um, it's much harder for me to separate them. So I felt it and I was like, oh, no, it'll be room temp. It'll, it'll give it its best chance to do mm-hmm. it for us. And look, as it stands right now, egg number two still drippy whites. 
it's interesting. So my hands, my hands could have dealt with that. The two eggs. Yeah. Just learn how to separate an egg with your hands, friends. No, All right. I'm going to say no thanks. Egg guy, Ew. you're cute, but no. He is cute, but he does look like he's a little disappointed he's a little in himself. Disappointed yeah, himself. that's not he a knows. smiley face. He knows. He knows. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying the hot plate, rate us or leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you to Joshna for joining us today. Hot Plate is recorded at Eggplant Picture and Sound Studios. Our audio engineer is Brad Tigwell. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. That's a wrap.